I'm Michael Levitin, and this is episode one of The Tell. About a year ago, I started a storytelling series at National Sawdust in Brooklyn, where each month I invite various characters to tell stories and a couple musicians to play songs, and we recorded the whole thing. We recorded all the stories and songs, so this podcast will be made up of all of these recordings of stories and songs. And The Tell continues as a live series at National Sawdust each month, so you could conceivably come hear stories and songs in person if you'd like. Uh, it's pretty different in person. I tend to think of storytelling as involving both voices and faces. I, I like faces a lot. <laughs> faces are like my favorite part. So this, this version will be storytelling minus faces. And, uh, um, you know, the people I pick for the tell are very charismatic characters. They have very expressive faces. It's worth seeing in person. Uh, so this first episode, we have Alias Shawcat and Kip Malone telling stories and Kelsey Liu playing a song. So here it is, episode one of The Tell. I grew up in Palm Springs, California. It's like a suburb <laughs> town, yeah, like golf uh, retirement center with a lot of old people. And, uh, and my parents, who uh, decided to open up a strip club down there because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of competition, I think, in the neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, my parents, um, my mom is born in, in Hollywood. She had, like, an actor father. And she was a law school dropout and got a job at the body shop, this strip club on Sunset. And my dad came over from Baghdad in the 70s, like saved up all his money and like escaped. And uh, his family owns all the strip clubs in LA. So he was like a bar back who didn't speak English with like an afro and a big nose. And my mom was like this like princess who was like, I dropped out of law school, but I'm just being a waitress for now. And uh, they fell in love. <laughs> and decided to open up their own joint called Showgirls in Cat City. And then they had three children, and I was one of them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was my two brothers and me. And yeah, very, you know, my dad owns a strip club, but it was like a very, he's a very conservative dad, um, very strict, uh, was always home for dinner, even though he'd get weird phone calls at the table. He's like, you tell her she has to get back on the stage, and like, if she doesn't come back, once, okay, one sec. All right, I have to go to the club. Uh, but, like, he was always, like, home. You know, like, I, I always knew it was a strip club, but, like, it just never went into our family life. Um, but being the middle child and the only girl and just being the character I am, uh, I always was the one trying to go out. I was, like, you know, had a lot of friends, which my two nerdy brothers didn't. They were playing World of Warcraft. And... Uh, I remember one night I like, my system was I would lock my door and sneak out my window and I grew up in like a gated community called Country Club Estates. Uh, <laughs> on the corner of Bob Hope and Country Club. Like it doesn't get whiter, you know, it's like crazy. And so it's like a eight minute walk to the gate, you know, where my friend, like my friend's friend and his truck would pick me up or whatever. And I remember I was like wearing boots and a mini skirt and I was like walking down the quiet gated community and my dad showed up. You know, because he worked at the fucking club. So we get home at like 2 a.m. 
And I'm like walking out with my purse and he's like, pulls up, <laughs> rolls down the window. He's like, where do you think you're going? And I was like, I'm just getting some fresh air. I don't, uh, it's just a nice night. It's Palm Springs, right? Weather's always good. And he's like, get in the car. And then I like went inside and my door would be locked and he's like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Huh? I see how it works. And so I was always getting in trouble. And yeah, I was working as a professional actor at the time. So I would have like half my life was in LA and I'd be like working on a funny show with my best friend and being treated like an adult and respected, you know? And then like the other half of the year, I'd like go back to Palm Springs where all these like bitchy private school kids, like they were like, what are you even doing in LA? And I was like, I'm writing, I'm, you know, I'm working on a show, just won a bunch of Emmys. It's called Rested Development. It's really funny. No one's watching it, but it's really good. <laughs> and people would be like, sure, I guess, okay. Um, so I like literally like, you know, lunch in the bathroom. It was like really silly. But I would hang out with these like public school kids because they were cool. Um, probably like Miles, you and your friends. Um, I wanted to be a part of the group. And uh, I got into smoking pot, so, you know, it was a great time. I was always one of those kids who was like, I'm never smoking pot or a cigarette or drinking. And then the minute I was offered for the first time, I was like, yes, okay, yes. I will try it. I am, uh, <laughs> really want to do this. Um, so around, yeah, I was like, smoke pot for the first time when I was 14. And then around 15, it became a real uh, part of my life on a daily thing. I even did like a driver's, my driver's license like test. And the first time I was so nervous that the second time I was like, I gotta be stoned for this. And I went and he was like, you're doing so great. You're so relaxed and in touch. And I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, it's like a video game. <laughs> it all makes sense. So um, around this time, you know, my dad being the Middle Eastern strict father he was, once I hit puberty, being his only daughter, he was just like, all right, uh, you can't leave the house, and we're Muslim now, and uh, you can't wear skirts or makeup. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I had a mic at the time, and I was like, Dad, whoa. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it was, a, it was a rough time, and he really started getting strict on me. You can't smoke pot, you know? And I was like, but I want to. Um, so I was getting in a lot of trouble. Like, at, at one point, he even cornered me after I just, like, I would never cover it up in my room either, you know what I mean? I would, like, smoke pop, load out the window, like, with air fresheners, and just be like, one second, and, like, candles. And he'd come in my room and be like, uh, I know you're still smoking pot. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was such a good liar. I mean, I was getting paid to do it for a living at the time. But I was, like, such a good liar. I like, convinced them, and my poor mother always believed me. Um, and my dad did, and he was like, I sent a private investigator after you. And I know you're still, you're selling it, actually. And I was like, okay, first of all, I'm not selling it. But I, yes, I am smoking pot a lot. So I get caught over and over and over again. And then finally, there was this one time where he came into my room and said, I'm going to drug test you tomorrow. And I was like, ooh, okay. Um, no, but I was, like, terrified. Like, you know, every, the thing about, like, stories, like, in retrospect, you know, this is, like, a story I've told my friends and... It's like a crazy story, like high school, but like at the time it was like ruining my life, you know? I was like, I'll never make it out of this alive. I was like, this is so hard. And I was like, I'm so unhappy. And I just can't be who I am. Um, and I still get excited when I'm like home alone, smoking pot in my house. I'm like, hmm, I guess I did. I really made it. Um, I was like, everything's easy now. Mm. So he says he's gonna drug test me. I have uh, no idea what to do. 
not only do I smoke pot all the time, and, like, there was the internet, but, like, I, the search wasn't fast enough. I don't remember it being, like, very simple to be like, how do you get clean pee, you know? And I asked my friend, my best friend Maria, I was like, dude, who do we know that has clean pee? And she was like, we all smoke weed. And I had also just tried mushrooms for the first time. So that had really pushed it over the edge where I was like, they really can't know what's in my pee. Um, so we brainstormed together, Maria and I, probably for a total of two minutes. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to ask my dad. And I was like, cool move. Because at the time, you know, her dad and her mom were the parents who, like, they didn't have that much money and... Maria was kind of like living with us because like I had a nice house and they would make up for it by like picking us up when I snuck out, taking us to parties, buying us cigarettes, you know? So they were like the cool parents who were like picking us up in this like shitty car and like just like being there for us, you know what I mean? So she's like, I'm going to ask my dad. I'm like, sweet, like here's hoping. Um, and she, you know, calls me back and she's like, dude, my dad said he'll do it. And I was like, wonderful. This is really going to work out. Uh, I remember I went to buy condoms because I was like, how am I going to transport it? You know what I mean? Like, I can't be like showing up to the drug testing place and be like, oh, I just need my coffee. Um, but, so I go to the store and I buy condoms and I'm terrified because I'm not, I'm not even close to having my first kiss. I was like a super labeler. So I was like really embarrassed about like what they were going to assume of me. You know, and I was like, it's not even for what you think it is for. You know, I was like, there's no penis going in here. Um... But so I bought the condoms, very embarrassed. And then, yeah, Maria pulls up with her dad and gives me a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And she just kind of looks at me like, here it is. And, you know, now I don't remember, but, like, I wonder if him and I had an eye contact exchange, like, right? Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we go inside. I'm wearing tights, and I got a mini skirt on. And I'm pouring it into this little condom. And I'm, like, wrapping it up so it's just, like, has this real nice, awkward weight to it, like this little balloon of my friend dad's pee. And I just like delicately like put it right in the stocking and it's just like resting there like this little balloon every time I move. And I get in the car and I'm like conscious of bumps. You know, I'm like, all right, easy to <laughs> easy drive, dad. And uh, so we get to the place and the woman like takes me into the room and I pour it in and I'm just like shaking furiously. And then all of a sudden I'm like, can you tell the sex? Like, is the temperature off? Like, all these things that seemed logical, um, you know, that I was going to get caught. Like, I was going to get caught right on the spot. Like, I'd walk out and she'd be like, that's obviously not your pee. Like, where's your pee? <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, like, I didn't think about this. And anyways, I walk out and I give it to her. And she's like, are you okay? And I just start crying. And, like, she, like, hugs me. She's like, everyone gets nervous, you know? And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> and... So, okay, so I do it. It feels like in teenage years, like, months had passed. I, I feel like I, like, lived my life. Like, I was free. I, like, forgot about it. And it probably only was, like, you know, a week later. Um, my parents sit me down in the living room, which I had had many of these, like, sit-down talks from getting caught so many times. And they sit me down, and my mom immediately starts, like, sobbing. And I'm like, what's all this about? And my dad's like... We uh, got the results from the drug test. And I was like, yeah, how'd that go? And he said, it had the highest rating of methamphetamines they, they had ever seen in years. 
The doctor said, you must have been doing it three times a day, every day, for months and months. And my mom is like, oh, my daughter's a method! She's like, sobbing, sobbing over her, like, organized pillows, you know? And I'm like, I was like, this is insane. I was like, listen, it's not my pee. It's Maria's dad's pee. <laughs> and they're like, you're crazy. Like, you're a liar. We raised our daughter to be a method and a pathological liar. And I was like, I, I know this sounds crazy. I was like, we have to believe me. It's like, it's really not my pee. So we go to the drug taste place like that day. And then, you know, the mushrooms were already out of my system. So all that showed up was marijuana and not that much of it. And I was like, see, I was like, marijuana ain't so bad. And it really like, you know, cut the blow. They were just like, well, at least she just smokes a little pot, you know? <laughs> and I was like, not that bad. And then the, the worst part of it was like, you know, afterwards I had to like, Maria was like kind of like a, you know, a sister to me. She had been part of my family and stuff and I had to be like, so your dad's a meth head, uh, turns out. And she was like, huh, kind of makes sense. And like, you know, looking back on it, her parents both had really fucked up teeth. They were sweet, but they like would pick us up. Yeah, like four o'clock in the morning at like a random house where they knew we weren't supposed to be there. Buying us smokes, you know, giving us any cash when they could. And like, and you know, looking back, I was like, oh yeah, they were definitely meth heads, but I had no idea what to compare it to. Like, I just liked them, you know? And anyone who buys you smokes when you're 16, you're just like, they get it, they get it. Um, and so, yeah, I had to tell her, and she confronted her dad, and he lied to her and said, I got it from the little girl next door. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, like, he's so crazy. Um, but then, like, you know, it's also so insane that, like, he had every right to just be like, no, Maria, it's inappropriate for me to give your friend my pee. Like, no, of course not. But instead, he was so high on the meth that he was like, I'm going to get in trouble either way. So like, I better say yes to giving my daughter's friend her pee, because otherwise, she's going to figure something out. And the truth is, no, we wouldn't have figured anything out. Like, he just would have been a normal father, maybe a better father for that, you know. But um, she finally confronted them, and uh, they got clean. And now they work at like a sushi restaurant in Cathedral City. And... Uh, and it worked out, yeah. <laughs> and I continued to smoke pot. Um, but my parents, I almost feel like it was like a real bold move too. Like they kind of like, it was like my stepping stone where I was like, you better watch out. Cause like, I'll go to the extreme to get out of this. You know what I mean? So they were kind of like sizing me up like, shit, you'll do whatever it takes. And I was like, yeah, I'm only 16. I was like, wait for it. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's my story. I was 12 or 13, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she was a brilliant woman and, and fucking love her the, the most. And she'd been dead for a long time, but I, and she's, you know, super fucking important to me. But uh, she was unable to take care of herself. We had to go from where we lived in Pennsylvania 
to empty our house in Newark, New Jersey. And um, it was bittersweet because we, you know, my father grew up in that house and she'd grown up in that house with her brothers. And there's a big house with a basement with like a root cellar and um, a bunch of plastic covered furniture and, <laughs> and rooms and rooms and rooms and then a furnished attic. Um, that her, my great uncles had lived in before I was born. And uh, she was a child of the Depression, as were the rest of her contemporaries. And so she was very, like, a, nothing was to be thrown away. And yet we live in, like, a society where, like, everything's made to be thrown away. So the house was full of shit. And uh, <laughs> anyone that knows me enough to have been in my room knows that I have a connection to my grandmother. Um, <laughs> but it was exciting. I'm 12 or 13, I'm probably 13, and finding my identity uh, as new wave, um, is what we called it in Pittsburgh. Uh, and like, you know, wearing vintage clothes and like, and, and her house was full of incredible vintage clothes and and hats and wigs and costume jewelry, which, you know, looks great. You cover your jacket with costume jewelry. I looked fucking great. Um, so it was super exciting. And my big brother was also in the same, in the same, like, on the same team. We were in the attic and we'd found all this, all this jewelry and, uh, it's very exciting. We we're talking about like what it would look look good on, or like you know, he was explaining like Art Nouveau, like and all this shit to me. And like, we found <clears throat> this brooch that looked kind of like a small chocolate chip cookie, but like gold leaf. And if you imagine like a gold leaf chocolate chip cookie, but the chocolate chips are at bits of amber, and it wasn't particularly special compared to the other stuff we found. But some reason, for some reason, like, it was incredibly special. And we both immediately, like, went golem over it <laughs> and started fighting. And we started physically fighting, <laughs> which was completely not uh, the nature of our relationship. I, it's the only time I remember there being violence between me and this particular sibling. And we stopped fighting when he like threw me over this uh, chest, or this chest, storage chest, and I ripped my jeans on the corner of, of it, the metal protective corner on it, of it. And then we were just like stopped and stared at each other. Like, oh, why don't we just share it? You know, and I'm like, go, oh, of course. So, um, later on, back in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I find my, my baby sister staring at this brooch. She has it on the bar, not used as a bar. We, my family didn't drink, but we had a bar because it was in us. Um, and uh, she's just staring at it. I'm like, oh, that's, there it is. And I went to grab it and she's like, oh, I wouldn't take it. Mama and Cody said there's something wrong with it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I looked at it and it's like, yeah, the 
clasp is loose. She's like, no, no, there's something wrong with it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She was always, back then, she's very much a materialist now, but back then she was like pretty spooky. Um, for a kid. Um, but I was like, whatever. I put it in the pocket of my jacket. And later that day, I took the bus to the city to go to Ides Records on Penn Avenue with Andy and Catherine, my friends. And uh, I kept, it, it fell off, it, it, I had put it on, you know, and it fell off. And I picked it up off the sidewalk and I put it in my pocket. It fell in my pocket again. And I was like, this is like, I'm going to lose this thing. And like, when I got home, was some like Akon the Bunny or something? I, I put it on the dresser um, of in my bedroom that I shared with another brother. Seven of us at this point. That's all that they could manage to make of the Malones was seven. Um, and at some point, it's time to go to bed. And uh, I don't know if any of you have had to share rooms as, as teenagers, but it's fucking not the time for that. Uh, <laughs> it's not the time for that at all. Um, and so I'm laying, pretending to be asleep as my brother jerks off across the room in his bed. And uh, it's uncomfortable. And uh, I hear this voice call his name seductively. And he stops. And uh, it's confusing. He starts again. It's hard to quit when you haven't <laughs> achieved your goal. Um, and then the voice calls him again, uh, a woman's voice. And he stops again. And then he's like, Kip. And I'm like, huh, pretend to be waking up. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, he's like, uh, did you hear someone Call me. I was like, yeah, it must have been one of our sisters or our mother, the only people with women's voices in the house. And yeah, it's the middle of the night. And also, like, fucking, my family has problems, but like, my sisters aren't seductively calling my, my brothers. Like, that, that's not the specific nature of my family's problems. Um, but he gets up and goes to see what the fuck's going on outside of the room. And when he leaves, the same voice just starts laughing and laughing. And I'm like, it's fucking not from outside. That's from the dresser. That's from the fucking brooch that's sitting on, on, on the dresser. And uh, um, After this was resolved, the only way we knew how to resolve it in that moment, um, I found out by talking to my eldest brother that he 
this, the reason why my baby sister had said that there was something wrong with the brooch is because he got it back from Jersey. He put it in the top drawer of his chest of drawers, which he kept in the closet. He was reading, and he heard something rustling. He was reading, whatever. And he heard something <laughs> rustling in the top drawer, and he went over because he thought, well, there's a mouse in there or something. So he, he went over to reach for the drawer, and the drawer popped out, and there just and landed on his feet, and there was the brooch there. And he was, like, freaked out. We were taught to believe in a very specific God, and if there's this very specific God, then there's also his fucking counterpart, whatever. Sweet, sweet, sweet Satan, and sweet, sweet Satan's got all these awesome servants. And uh, so immediately, like, that, with the information we had to work with, that's the best explanation. So I gave it to my mother because she and my father, uh, you know, in our minds, they have authority over over these kind of things. So, but somehow it got out of my mother's room and got down to the the bar and then got to me and then got into my room. And my brother comes back in the room from seeing if anyone is out there, and he's like, "Ah, there was no one is fucking awake." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. It's actually, I don't want you to get upset, but." I think there's an entity attached to that piece of jewelry on the on the dresser behind you. And uh, he just fucking starts cursing me. I'm like, what the fuck did you bring in here? What the fuck? Well, you know, like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I didn't know. I fucking wouldn't have done it if I, you know. <laughs> I'm adding the, the fucking. We didn't actually use that kind of language. Chris. Christians. Um, so he, he took it, went down the stairs, and uh, opened the front door and threw it across the street and over the roof of the house across the street. Um, so I, I've, I've, I had told that story a number of times in my life. Um, and even though, like, I, I've, I have so much vitriol for organized religion at this point in my life and, and for all of the ways that different groups and peoples have taken advantage of people's fear uh, with, you know, hocus pocus, like, and um, really it's, it's something that, like, fucking... Burn, burns, burns me up. Um, still, I, I have at least that one moment as evidence that there's more to this existence. I mean, besides what mushrooms and LSD have taught me, but like uh, that, there's more to this existence than just the physical realm.
Okay, that was episode one of The Tell. Thank you for listening. We actually have an upcoming installment of the live series. Uh, the Tell Volume 11 is going to be at National Sawdust on Sunday night, August 21st, 2016. It's always a Sunday night once a month, so you can find out more about that at nationalsawdust.org if you'd like to come and hear these things in person. Um, you could also find out more information about me and about the series at michaellevitin.com. You could find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetellstories. Um, and we're going to have these episodes on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can find us there. Um, I want to thank everybody for their stories and songs. Alia Shawkat, Kip Malone, and Kelsey Liu. Um, thank you to National Sawdust for hosting us and recording us. Thank you to Gabriel Galvin for helping me put these recordings together into a podcast. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for future installments of The Tell. Baby, I like your story. A story you won't tell. But yeah, I witnessed how it unspooled It's brilliant Cause it's written by a fool Oh yeah You're quite a character The girl who broke the rule Got her comeuppance Lost her cool Brilliant cause it's written by a fool You're writing by accident You're crying for lack of sense At the ending When the plot is spent you're the only one who won't understand just what it meant. Oh yeah, a tear jerker from certain points of view. Teaches a lesson, they should read it in school. It's brilliant cause it's written by a fool Twist 
or a dance on a stool. It's brilliant 'cause it's written by a fool. It's brilliant 'cause it's written by a fool. It's brilliant 'cause it's written by a fool.